0: You know, one of the um, purposes of uh, the Old Testament and especially um, narrative sections is, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, uh, to give us examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil. And uh, that's definitely the case uh, with these two chapters in 1 Samuel because chapters 18 and 19, uh, they focus on Saul's actions against David. That's really what the two chapters are. This is Saul against David. But they're very instructive to us because what these two chapters do is they show us the, the inner workings of Saul. Uh, right throughout the passage, we hear Saul talking to himself. Uh, we get to hear his thoughts. We get to hear him uh, his fears, his motives. And everything that's normally hidden is all revealed for us to see. As the readers, we get the insight into what is actually going on in Saul's heart that makes him do all of these crazy things against David. And as we'll see, the heart issue behind all of Saul's actions in these two chapters against David is Saul's jealousy. Saul's jealousy. And so that's what we're going to consider today And there are three aspects um, to this in the passage. And the first is uh, we see the roots of jealousy. Then we see the escalation of jealousy. And finally, we see the um, defeat of jealousy. So let's have a look at those uh, three aspects. So first, the roots of um, Saul's jealousy, they actually, it begins to emerge pretty much straight after David kills Goliath. So chapter 18 is the, the following on of that, that story, uh, David has killed Goliath, and uh, then uh, from that point on, David—you know—before that event, he was really just a nobody in Israel. But all of a sudden, he's he's just cast into the um, public eye. He, he becomes an instant celebrity, and as a result, uh, verse one tells us that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. In other words, they come—they become very close friends. Their friendship is is so close, it's like that of brothers. Uh, They make this covenant together. Uh, They exchange, uh, well, Saul gives David his uh, armor and his royal robe. Uh, And Saul, now we already know that Saul had David as his personal musician. And that was on a casual basis. Whenever Saul was not feeling too well, he would have David come and play the lyre. And uh, that would help Saul uh, feel better. Uh, But now Saul takes David, into full-time service. He becomes Saul's full-time servant. And uh, David is a very successful servant. Saul sends him out on more military campaigns. And David has so much success that Saul makes him a leader in the, in the military. And everyone is absolutely head over heels for David. They love having him as a, as a leader. Uh, they're all, everyone's a huge fan of David. And that sentiment makes its way into a song uh, that the women um, were singing on one particular occasion. So if you look at verse 6, it says uh, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And here are the lyrics. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, the way Hebrew poetry works, it's likely that the women are not saying one is better than the other because Hebrew poetry, the way it works is that the second line just repeats the first line just with a little added emphasis. And so it's likely that the women are saying Saul and David are great. Both Saul and David are wonderful, uh, victorious men. Saul doesn't see it that way, though. (laughs) The way Saul sees it, is that, well, see, Saul doesn't like sharing the spotlight. One thing we've seen all the way through 1 Samuel so far about Saul is that he loves being number one. He loves power. He loves uh, admiration. He lives for that sort of stuff. There was one time where he set up a monument to himself. He's wanting all of Israel to say, look at Saul, wow, look at great Saul. And he hates sharing the spotlight. And so when he hears this song, He doesn't hear it saying, you know, Saul and David are great military um, leaders. He hears David is now stealing his admiration. David is taking, you know, overshadowing him, taking some of the spotlight for himself. And so in verse 8, it says that Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. And we hear him talking to himself. He says, they have ascribed David 10,000. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Now, you need to realize that, bef- that leading up to all of this is the fact that Saul has been rejected as the king by God. You know, He's still occupying the throne, but from God's perspective, he's rejected. And Samuel had spoken that word to Saul. And Saul also knows that the Lord has sought out another king. One who has been described as a king after God's own heart. One who in chapter 15 verse 28 was described as better than Saul. So Saul knows that. And it seems to be dawning on him that maybe David is that replacement for the throne. That's why he's saying to himself, what more can he have but the kingdom? And so in verse 9 it says that Saul kept a very close eye on David from that day on. And here we can see Saul's jealousy at work. Uh, Saul, this keeping the eye on David, what it means is that everything David did, Saul looked at with suspicion, which is what jealousy does. And he feels resentment over all of David's achievements. And when you read through the passage, you realize that out of all the people in Israel, Saul was the only one who felt that way toward David. Everyone else that's mentioned in the passage, every other single person except of course for the Philistines, uh, everyone is described as loving David. It constantly says they loved David. Uh, Everyone was um, so thankful for, for David's victory over Goliath and for the other victories he had over the Philistines. Everyone was enjoying and appreciating the achievements of David but not Saul. It was impossible for Saul to appreciate anything David did, even though the fact that David was Saul's personal servant and was looking after him with um, playing that, that liar. And uh, David served Saul faithfully. He was completely loyal to Saul. When Saul sent him out on military campaigns, he went out and did it, was successful, which meant that Saul actually was enjoying this real golden era of victory. This was a real high point. And yet he couldn't appreciate any of it. Instead, everything that David did, he absolutely resented. He viewed it all with suspicion, as if David was out to get him, as if David was trying to knock him off the throne. And so what we have in Saul is, this is a picture of jealousy. This is the roots of jealousy. And we actually can't read that without stopping to think about our own lives. Uh, Because as sinners, we're actually all prone to letting jealousy take root in our hearts. And as a result, we can needlessly be against people that normally we should love. Uh, That can happen in all kinds of settings. That can happen in the workplace. Uh, That can happen uh, children at school, in the schoolyard or in the classroom. Uh, That can happen in the church, it can even happen in your own family, where you can allow jealousy or envy to take root in your heart, and uh, you can then have suspicion and resentment towards people who are not against you at all. Now, the thing about jealousy is that it's pretty easy to see in others, but it's very hard to see in ourselves. This is one of those sins, it's like pride. Um, You know, you look around, you think, oh, why is that person so arrogant? But you never stop to go, why am I so arrogant? It's the same with jealousy. It's something that we find very hard to see in ourselves, but we can ask a few questions to unmask it. So here's some questions to um, consider. Do you ever find yourself thinking spitefully about someone who who may be more gifted than you in some way? Uh, Is there someone in your life that you you can't stand hearing them being praised for their achievements? Is there someone in your life who irritates you, but when you actually stop and think about it, the the reason they irritate you is because there's there's something that they have that's better than you. Maybe a better house, better car, better spouse, uh, better, I don't know, anything. Uh, Do you ever find yourself being suspicious of someone? You know, a suspicion, but then you realize that the suspicion is because there's a competitiveness about it. Do you ever find that in your life? See, if, if, if we can't have joy in someone else's achievements or someone else's gifts, then what's behind that? It's this jealousy. This jealousy that instead of rejoicing when people rejoice, Rather, there's a, there's a, a jealousy, uh, a suspicion, a resentment. And that's what's happening in our hearts. Now, we see that in Saul. <clears throat> and for Saul, what, what drove that? It's, well, for him, it was the love of power, you know, the love of being in control, the love of having people admire him. And, and that's usually what drives our own jealousy. But what it does, it always prevents us from loving others as we ought. See, that's the root of jealousy. So that's the first part. Now, next, though, we see the escalation of jealousy. It escalates. Uh, From verse 10, we see for Saul, his jealousy doesn't stay just a grudge against David. It spirals out of control. It becomes, becomes something that consumes him and destroys him. So look at verse 10 and 11. In chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Now, what is this harmful spirit from the Lord? I'm sure some of you are wondering that. Uh, It came up in chapter 16, and I didn't have time to go into it then, but today um, I do. And uh, the big question is always, how can God send a harmful spirit? What does that even mean? I mean, it doesn't sound very nice. How can God send a harmful spirit? Well, there's two things to keep in mind that will make sense of it. One is, this is part of God's judgment on Saul. Saul has rejected the Lord, despite Samuel numerous times calling him to repent. He refused to repent every time. He would not turn back to the Lord. He would not humble himself and submit to the Lord. Instead, he lived in rebellion, and so God judged Saul. He punished Saul by sending this harmful spirit, and that word harmful... It actually just means a spirit who brings trouble into Saul's life. So it could even be an angel. Okay, it's not really defined. Uh, that's one part, though. This is, this is judgment on Saul for his continual rebellion. The other thing to realize is have a look at what the actual harm is that the spirit brings. Okay, what is the harm? The harm is letting Saul experience the full unraveling of sin in his life. Okay, it's as if the harmful spirit, what it is, is a spirit who takes away the restraint to let Saul's sin have its full way in his heart. And you see that here because what happens? Saul's jealousy doesn't stay as just a grudge against David. No, it spirals out of control. It escalates so that he actually takes a spear and he tries to kill David. Okay, just where he was... Resenting David, angry that David was getting all of the, you know, the popularity, that becomes now a spear to throw at David, try to kill him. And it's a good thing David had the um, reflexes of a cat because otherwise he would be the, the new ornament on Saul's wall. Uh, it's like he has ninja skills or something. But what we actually see in Saul, though, it's actually not that uncommon. This is the way all sin works. All sin, the sins of the heart, they all work just in this exact same way. Let's have a look at a list of um, some um, sins of the heart from Galatians. Uh, this is the, um, where Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the works of the Spirit. And here are the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, there it is, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, if you look at that list, you take any one of those sins, and if you let it take root in your heart, and you continually feed it without repentance, what happens? Does it stay this nice little friendly sin? Not at all it always escalates. It always becomes something that is out of control. It takes over your life. You become enslaved to it. It becomes like an addiction. And what happens is you end up doing things that you previously thought not possible. See, I reckon if Saul could have rewound his life to his pre-king days and, uh, you know, before power went to his head, he would never dream of hurling a spear at someone who's actually trying to help him. Okay, David was serving him faithfully. He could, how could you imagine throwing a spear? But this is what happened with Saul. He, he, jealousy's he's taken root in his heart. He's fed it continually, night after night, going over and over. How angry he is at David. And look at what's happened. Now he's doing something that previously was unimaginable. It spiralled out of control. And we see that even further in the next um, verse. So verse 12, it says Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. It says Saul removed David from his presence, made him commander of a thousand. This seems to be Saul's way of trying to deal with the problem. The problem for Saul is David. So he does the old um, out of sight, out of mind tactic. Uh, by making David a commander of, of a thousand. Uh, rather than dealing with his own heart, <laughs> he thinks the problem is David. I've got to get rid of the problem, so get rid of David. And uh, what happens? David has success, verse 14, in all of his undertakings. Why? Well, the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Notice how there's this spiraling of um, Saul's heart problem. Uh, it's, it's jealousy, it's resentment, but now it becomes this paranoia. He's, he's afraid of David. He stands in awe of David. See how it's just blown out of perspective. It's now this full-on paranoia. Uh, and Saul, he's constantly thinking, David's trying to get my throne. David's out to get me. He's just making it up. He doesn't realize what's going on. And uh, the more Saul tries to get rid of David, the more successful David becomes. So it's like he's working so hard to get rid of David and it's completely going the other way. And uh, this, and so it just intensifies. Saul becomes completely bent on killing David. Uh, that gets worse and worse over time. And if you follow the rest of the two chapters we see that Saul makes five more attempts to kill David just in these two chapters. There's plenty more attempts coming in the rest of the book, but just in these two chapters, five more attempts. The first two are covert. The first two are hidden. No one knows about it except Saul. And the way he goes about it, he has this sneaky plan of offering his daughter um, in marriage to David, which was meant to happen, by the way, as a result of killing Goliath. But for some reason, it never um, came about. And uh, the idea, though, he, he, this time was he was hoping to get David killed. He had this sneaky plan set up. Anyway, the first one falls through. And so down in verse 20, uh, Saul has another daughter named um, Michal, or Michael. Uh, and she loved David, just like everyone else in Israel. Uh, they told this to Saul, and that made him excited because he thought, oh, good, I'll get, give her um, to marry in marriage to David. And she'll become a snare to him. And uh, he sets a bride price for Michael that that he's pretty sure will get David killed. And what happens? David again succeeds. (laughs) He's meant to kill 100 Philistines for the um, price. He kills 200. Uh, And again, that just enrages Saul. But do you see what's happened here? This is all hidden. Only Saul knows about the plan to kill David here at this point. But... Notice what Saul's doing. He's involving his own family, his own daughters. He has no regard for their welfare. This is not about them and their happiness. It's it's just a secret tactic to kill David. And so you can see how distorted his life has become, how distorted he is that he would actually involve his own family in this destruction. Do you see how... When sin escalates, when this jealousy escalates, it actually tears families apart. That's how serious this is. Well, David eludes those two uh, sneaky plans. And then that brings us down to chapter 19. Now, if you've got a Bible open, have a look at verse 1 of chapter 19. Because it begins like this. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Now, do you see what's happened at this point? What was hidden is now out in the open. It's like Saul has become so twisted in his desire to get rid of David that he just assumes everyone will see it the same way. He assumes that everyone looks at David with suspicion. And he, he wants to involve um, Jonathan and his servants. And, uh, and so you can see the way the paranoia has worked. There's no more scheming here, no more subtlety. This is just all out, all out, public anger. I'm gonna kill David. And what we actually see here, this is the end goal of jealousy. So if you, you think about jealousy, it just seems like a small thing. It's a grudge, it's resentment, suspicion. But what is the aim of that sin? What is the end goal of it? Exactly this. Desire to kill. It's like when Jesus talked about anger in your heart. And he says that's actually murder. It's murder in the heart because it is is murder in its seed form. If you keep feeding it, that's exactly where it ends up. And we see that here with jealousy. It's the same thing. It aims at murder. It escalates if there's no repentance. So that's the escalation. Okay, so the roots of jealousy, the escalation. But the third thing we see here is the thwarting of jealousy. It's thwarted. And that's in chapter 19. Uh, Chapter 19 is the story of four escapes. Uh, Four times Saul tries to kill David and four times David escapes. Uh, The first one is, you know, he tries to rope Jonathan and the servants in. Jonathan um, defends David and is able to calm Saul down. Uh, That lasts maybe overnight because in verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 10, again, David's back playing the liar for Saul and Saul again throws a spear at him. David evades that again. Uh, In verse 11, he sends some servants on an assassination plot They surround David's house, wait for the moment where they're going to kill David. Uh, His wife, uh, Michael, um, defends him, uh, saves him. He escapes. He goes off to Samuel uh, in verse 18. And so what does Saul do? He sends servants after David. They try to get him, but that all fails. Sends another lot of servants, that fails. He goes after David himself, that fails. (laughs) See, every time Saul goes after David... God always thwarts it. He never actually succeeds and so what are we meant to learn from this? Well chapter 19 uh, it really does come out very clearly the innocence of God's anointed. Okay David is God's anointed and what do we see the innocence of God's anointed. Now I have focused a lot on Saul so far because I think these two chapters do focus on Saul But there is a lot in this passage about David. All the way through, what do we see with David? We see someone who is very loyal to Saul. He's faithful in all that he does. He's very patient. He's very humble as well. Like even when Saul offers his daughters, he's like, no, 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 no. I couldn't possibly accept that. I'm just a lowly person. And right through, we never see once David grasping for power, not once. Even though David knows he is the anointed king, he never once tries to snatch it by his own strength or by his own tactics, not at all. He just leaves it up to God's timing, leaves it in God's hands, doesn't once snatch after it. And, uh, and so it's bringing out David's innocence. In fact, Jonathan speaks on that very point in verse 5 of chapter nine, 19, uh, where he says at the end of that verse, uh, you know, why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Okay, the innocence of David. And what all of that does, it just brings out the irrationality of Saul's jealousy. Why is Saul jealous? It's not because of anything in David. Not once did David try to be a rival to Saul, not once did he set himself up as competition. It's all in Saul's head. It's all created by his own suspicion. David just went about serving Saul faithfully. And so what David is, he's a picture of, an, of a, a humble, faithful servant. A servant king, really, because he's the anointed one. But one who is completely mistreated, even though he had done nothing wrong. Now, who does that remind you of? See, we can't read about David's innocence here without seeing a shadow of the true anointed king, the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus, he was truly innocent of all wrongdoing. Uh, He's the one who Philippians 2 says, did not grasp after power, but emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant. That's what we see of David here. But see, despite Jesus' innocence, just like David, he too was hated, he was uh, envied. Remember the, um, the leaders of Israel? They were all jealous of Jesus. Whenever Jesus had popularity, they, they absolutely hated it. They viewed Jesus with suspicion. Everything he did was reinterpreted by them to be something that it completely wasn't. And like Psalm 2 um, predicted, they gathered together, they plotted together to, against the Lord and against his anointed, and they actually thought they succeeded when they hung him on a cross and watched him die. But what happened? God overruled and he turned what, what looked like the victory of evil into a victory over evil. And God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Do you see that? This, you know, in, in 1 Samuel, Saul, he worked so hard to bring David down. And what does God do? God always exalts him. The very thing that Saul tried to use to kill David is the very thing that God uses to exalt him. Isn't that a picture of the cross? The very thing that the leaders used to get rid of Jesus ends up being the very thing that exalts Jesus over everything today. To the highest place. Gave him a name that is above every name. See, that's, that's the thwarting of evil. That's what God does for he's anointed. Uh, The second thing, though, that we see about David is that because he is a picture of Jesus, then that means that Saul is not just a mirror of, you know, the jealousy that we can have with others. Saul is actually a mirror of uh, someone who refuses to acknowledge the true king. Okay, that's what we need to really see in Saul's actions. Saul is someone who, who senses that David is God's anointed, and yet does everything he can to resist it. He's uh, a picture of someone who desperately wants to retain his own kingship, uh, which is really what everyone does who rejects Jesus. Okay, if you reject Jesus, what's the real heart behind that? It's wanting to retain your own kingship of your own life. Okay, you want to be number one. You don't want Jesus to be king. And it's it's interesting that the one who demonstrates the right response to the king in the passage is actually Jonathan. Jonathan, he is actually, he's not just a model of a a good friend uh, with David, he is actually the model of a true disciple. Because what does Jonathan do? If you go back to the start of chapter 18, it says Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and bow and belt. Now what is is that about? Well, this this is a very symbolic action. For Jonathan to make a covenant with David and to give David his royal robe and his sword. Do you know what Jonathan's doing? He's saying to David, I realise that you are the rightful king. Which is quite amazing because remember Jonathan would have been the heir to the throne if not for his father's disobedience. But even though Jonathan would naturally be the heir to the throne, Jonathan looks at David's faith, he looks at David's character, he looks at David's victory over Goliath and he realises something. He realises that this is actually the Lord's anointed. And rather than holding back and saying, there's no way this guy is going to take my place, what he does, he actually says to David, I'm willingly giving my life over to you. I'm giving up my throne, I'm giving up my my kingdom, my future, my authority, I give it all over to you. That's what he's saying to David. And do you know, that's a picture of what it looks like to receive the true king. And so when we think about Jesus as the Lord's anointed, this is what it looks like to receive Christ as king, to give up trying to be your own king, give up your future, give up your kingdom, receive the true king. And here's the thing, when you embrace Christ like that, do you know what happens? That's the key to dealing with jealousy. Okay, Because that's what this sermon is about. Jealousy, and we've seen how destructive it is. How do you get it right? How do you turn from it? It's only by recognizing the true king. See if we were to analyze What is really behind jealousy? What is the very heart of it? It all comes down to this We want to be our own king. We want other people to serve us. We want to be number one. That's what's behind the suspicion. That's what's behind the rivalry. That's what's behind all the resentment. But if you realize that there is a true king, and it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus, and you embrace him, that's actually the key to then overcoming jealousy because then you don't look at other people as rivals. No, you see them as fellow sinners in need of the king, in need of the saviour. And that begins to unravel the jealousy, to break it down. So you don't look at people with suspicion anymore. You look at them, hey, they're just like me. We both need a saviour. The gospel is that in our sin and rebellion, we were rivals to Christ. We were his enemies. And yet what has he done? He hasn't looked on us with suspicion and anger Rather, he went to the cross to die for us, to make us his friends. And when you know Jesus has done that for you, that has to change you. It has to make you into someone who then looks at other people and goes, they're, not, they're no longer a rival. There's someone to love the way Jesus has loved me. See, that's, that's the thwarting of jealousy. It only happens through the gospel. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, this picture of um, the extent of, of sin in the heart. And we see that Saul, he's just a human being like us, someone who, who's born in sin and, and wants to live as though he was the king. And we can see that in our own hearts, Father, and it grieves us to think of all of the ways that that works out and the ways that we can be against others. Uh, people that we know that we should love and serve. So we pray for your forgiveness, Father, that we thank you for Jesus, the, the perfect King, who, who never came with that rival attitude, but who came to serve and came to give his life, uh, even for people who considered him a rival. And we praise you for that, Lord, that through his death, that we are freed from our sin, that we are given a new power within to be able to turn from it, to be able to love as he loved.